got out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. We've got too far. There's too much to lose. We've got to keep our composure. Perfect. What's going on, everyone? My name is Marcus Rancher, and you are now listening to episode 21 of The Fact of the Matter. Now, before I be continue, uh, let me quickly apologize. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, so I'm a little congested, a little sniffly, but um, it's nothing we can't work past. Now, I'm proud and happy to say that today's guest is uh, a very close friend of mine, someone I've known for close to 20 years now, which is pretty crazy. Um, Rich, I know him as Rich, but uh, you guys know him as MC Bravado. Um, he's joining me on Skype, uh, which is the first time I've ever done this. It took me a very long time to figure out how to do it, so I'm shouting myself out for that real quick. Uh, now, uh, before I give Rich an opportunity, Bravado, an opportunity to kind of explain where he's at, what he's doing, and uh, what he's working on, uh, a little intro, how I know him. Uh, I moved from the Bronx into upstate New York, uh, Warwick, New York, shout out to 845, uh, when I was, damn, seven, six, seven years old. And uh, the first family that I ever met was Rich's family. And they were Mrs. Gorski, um, one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my entire life, was kind enough to take me into her home and babysit me either right before school or right after school until my parents got home from work which was just amazing. And from there, I actually cultivated a, just a great friendship to this day that we're still so close with Rob, who was on the show a couple times now, Rob Gorski, and um, and Rich, who at the time, I, I never had an older brother, but I had always looked up to Rich, and maybe this is the first time he's hearing this, but I'd always looked up to him. Just when you're young, the what you want to do, you want to be old, you know? And I mean, I played basketball and Rich played ball and knew all about ball. Rich had all the Jordans. I never had none. So to see him with all his J's and all that, I was always like, damn, like, that's dope. And I remember when uh, when you were growing up, like, there's sometimes he was always just, like picking on Rob. He just beat the crap out of both of us just like randomly. Like, we just messing around, playing some video game or something. And it was just fun times growing up, man. So uh, it's just. Really, and then the fact that he was also a Bulls fan, and my uncle's also a big Bulls fan too. But he, Rich, is like a big time Bulls fan too. And um, you guys all know I'm the biggest Knicks fan you'll ever meet. So I mean, growing up too, to kind of get that different level of respect, like talking basketball, I was like, at one point, it's just I'm somebody that knows about the Bulls, and I'm talking to a kid about basketball, and then it became like. Okay, we both know what we're talking about. And I remember that moment when I kind of got that level of respect, like, damn, you know what you're talking about. I can't remember the exact time and place, but I remember I was probably around, like, maybe 16, 17. It was dope. So 
I mean, again, Rich is the first like kind of older brother, brother figure that I've ever had. So I'm very happy to say that uh, he's on the show with me. And uh, I mean, from there, Rich, I'll give you opportunity to kind of talk about what you're up to and what you're doing. Yeah, Yo, man. I mean, I appreciate you know the kind words. I definitely feel the same way. Um, remember you, you know, being real young when you came over and looked at you as a little brother too. And any of the uh, <laughs> the ribbing that went on, I you know like to think was like a character building exercise. <laughs> now maybe that's some revisionist history on my part but um now it was all love with you guys and it's been dope to just watch even kind of the basketball culture that permeated that neighborhood like kind of continue to happen and um you know to be a part of all that something special and I'm, I'm i think all of us that grew up there will always you know kind of have that um and that bond and be there for each other even if we don't see each other that much so um yeah it's it's fire and um yeah, yeah, I'm happy sure, to be here. Sure. Um, yeah, fresh go ahead, my fault. Go ahead. Now, go ahead. No, I was going to just ask, um, since you moved from Florida, like what you've been up to, because I know that you left after you graduated and um, you did a bunch, but like, I kind of want to get into like that little history. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so I left um, initially at about 19. I went down to the eastern shore of Maryland, like near Ocean City, um, Salisbury University and I did you know I was rhyming at the time I started rhyming before that probably like 16 17 um but when I went down there I was you know very much engrossed in hip-hop and you know listening and writing and um then um I when I was down there I joined a fraternity and kind of got into that whole thing and you know the brotherhood was really dope but I think also you know some of the distractions um you know, caused me to deviate from, you know, the hip hop goals for a bit. Um, you know, cause the easy part is writing and recording. Like that's like the fun part, but the, right. the business side is what you have to like give the attention to that you mm -hmm. might, you know, that's kind of what separates people is the vision and the ability to, you know, hunker down on the business. But I, um, I graduated kind of with like a bullshit degree, <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't do that well academically came home um gotten some some trouble um drinking and driving for like the second time by the time I was like 22 and then I was at like a fourth in the road and you know decided the best thing was to go back to school Salisbury was the only school that would take me so I went and kind of converted the English knowledge into a, a teaching degree I got a master's in teaching got my stuff together like straight A's um then jumped to Baltimore because uh, I wanted a little bit more of a scene. The Eastern Shore was kind of slow, and I associated with college. I don't want to be like that old frat guy lingering around. Um, <laughs> no disrespect to those that are, if you're listening. <laughs> They're like, uh, damn it. Yeah, good for you. I mean, good for you guys. It's just not – Frank the Tank is not for me. So, um, I uh, yeah, I got into the music scene in Baltimore, which really started pushing me, um, the friendly competition, um, and continued to teach – uh, in Baltimore City, like, you know, inner city, inner city schools. Um, and that was just a, a beautiful experience, um, you know, in terms of the connections I made with a lot of the students and um, just the challenges that it brought and made me better. Um, and, yeah, it's just been hip-hop kind of became more and more demanding the last couple of years and is now taking center stage for me. 
um, in terms of my attention. Uh, yeah. You know, teaching something I'll always love and continue to do in some capacities, but music is, you know, is it right now. All right. Hey, man, I remember having that conversation with you when, uh, when I found out that you were kind of putting all your focus and uh, all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, when it comes to your hip hop career. And I mean, some of the most successful people ever, I mean, they'll, they'll tell you like, I mean, they, they kind of just jumped and went for it, you know, and, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the, I, I'm a firm believer of the, what you get out of it is what you put into it. And if you put all your all into something, I mean, I think of it like this. I mean, when you're studying for a test, if you study half-assed, you're going to ha- get half-assed a, a grade. I mean, depending on how great you are. But if you put your all into it, I mean, you're going to get a good grade. So, I mean, that's kind of my analogy and how I think about putting your all into something. So, I mean, I know it's probably a tough choice, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the result is going to be put going to be what you put into it. And I know you're busting your ass right now. So, I mean, that's dope. I commend you. Thank you, bro. Yeah. I think the test analogy is pretty accurate. Like, you know, if, and it, and it's to the point where you, you kind of start to put your foot in the water and you're like, like this summer, for example, with touring, I was like, of course I had moments I was on the fence. I was like, damn, like I'm going to leave all summer. Like, how am I going to do this many dates? Like, how am I, you know, because I, I performed at all these stops, but I also worked, which I'll get into more, but like, you know, doing fucking 10, 12 hour days, like almost 40 cities, like sleeping in an RV. I was like, I've never done like this, you know, and I, but then I thought to myself, I was like, well, you want it, you know, so like go after it. And that was like, that was a next level type sacrifice. You know, you miss out on a lot of things socially, like it, fr- it strains friendships, mainly with those who don't understand you know what doesn't really apply to them um but like now beyond that i was thinking you know well i can i can do a leave absence from work or i could do this or i could do that and to me it was like are you betting on yourself or are you not Mm -hmm. and i hit a point where i was like all right we're, we're just gonna do it and um i would say for as long as i've been doing this that really only until the last year did i believe like in my heart of hearts that like music was going to be my career in some capacity like you always give out like the aura that you think that but like i would say when it when did i feel 100 percent? like really the last year when i knew after this i'm going all in and i'm I'm just gonna make this happen and if you get to when you get comfortable or too comfortable is when you tend to plateau and you know you're entirely right with most people just about everybody really who's done it in a big way like has just jumped and right has had nothing for a while and has gone through those rough stretches. And the way I look at the rough stretch is like, I, and I advise anybody to do this. Like when you feel like you're hitting a wall, you have to think how many people quit at this moment. And a lot of people did if it's a tough moment, but Mm -hmm. then you getting through that, like you've just leveled up, like you've just gotten to a different point than your competition or others that came before you that at that point it became too much. So like, you pass enough of those tests, you're going to get there. All right. You're like busting through the wall, like that ceiling, the glass yep. ceiling into, into another another room where there's another ceiling. And you're busting through that one, you know, like a never-ending thing. It is, man. It's, you know, and we do live in a lightning in a bottle era with going viral and like that shit could happen. And a lot of these kids go for that and they succeed and more, you know, power to them. But like that's, I've been playing the long game the whole time. And like that's what I'm going to continue to do, you know. Um 
That's commendable because I, yeah. I know it's probably easy. It would have been easy to kind of take that route, which honestly, I still don't really understand that route. I don't really get it as like the lightning in the bottle um, kind of thing. I don't really understand where that lightning kind of comes from because, I mean, unless it's I mean, we can get more into like the music side of it. But a lot of some of these uh, these uh, one hit wonders are like out of nowhere rappers. It's almost like they're whatever the beat is, it makes them. It's not whatever the music that they're making themselves, you know? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, and this is like, this is like down the rabbit hole a little bit. Yeah. But I think like a lot of this started with like American Idol mm. way of thinking where like your everyday, pr- and you would see like a Simon just like fry these people. But a lot of times the people he was frying needed to be fried. Like, right. There are those people that like they sing in front of their five friends and their five friends are like, you're amazing. And like maybe they're okay, and maybe they are amazing. Some of them are and that's the beauty of shows like that. But chances are they're, you know, in the scheme of things aren't that great. Then they hear it from somebody like him and he's made out to be like this villain. But like it created this like everybody thinking – they were a star mentality and like the reality is like yeah everyone has their own light but like and can be a star in whatever they're destined to do but like it isn't music for everyone Mm -hmm. and like so that i think lowered expectations in some ways because like people almost subconsciously were like yo like they just want to see like whoever break or like your everyday person break and that can be beautiful and it can be great and great artists were born from that but I also think it lowered our standards as to like what, you know, qualifies as a as a hit or you know what we can co-sign and like, you know, uh, technology has been part of that too. Like some of the recordings that pop on SoundCloud are like recordings that you know 10, 15 years ago, like an engineer would have been like, this sounds like ass. Yeah, they're recording it from like their cell phones. Right, which again, sometimes you have producers and artists that are great that are born from this, but like anything else, we have to take like the good with the bad and be able to to discern as listeners like what deserves long term burn and like what is like, okay, that was cool, but that dude is like, you know, not that great. You know <laughs> I feel like this that in today's generation it's I don't even think people are capable of making that discernment like that decision it's whatever they hear constantly on the radio it must be hot so i'm gonna listen to it oh the beat's kind of fire i don't understand a word they're saying but they're blasting this in my ears constantly constantly instagram all that twitter and it must be hot so like and it's some people have taken advantage of that and use it to their advantage you know and oh yeah you know what i mean and i mean some people are kind of stuck on like i'm gonna do it this way because it's the way that i know but then there's a way i feel like which is what you're doing is a way to implement both both sides of it and kind of play play both sides of the fence so to speak yeah like i'd be an i'd be an idiot in today's climate to like look at social media and be like i'm not going to utilize that right you know like because it is a powerful tool but it's like you're right in that like oh people hear it it must be hot like what it comes down to a lot of times is like the backing they have they have somebody to pay off like djs or like run social media promotion constantly like build this following like people see that and they associate it with like legitimacy and clout like you would not believe and this is funny as fuck and i don't call them on it i just think it's hilarious so many of my students after they see verification on a given platform, Facebook, Instagram, 
oh man, all following, screenshotting, I'm so proud of my teacher, blah, blah, blah. You knew I was on Instagram for the last- This whole time. Hour, this whole time. And now, oh, you know. You got I, that little this, check next to your name. Yeah, I'm like, yo, it's, nothing has changed. It's so crazy. Nothing's changed. It, it literally gives like legitimacy. People believe that that check is legitimacy. I forgot, there was some type of parody. Somebody made a parody video about- um, verification i can't remember so i'm not going to stick with that but um yeah that i mean that alone is ridiculous but it, it speaks to i mean what was the age group of your students yeah i mean we're talking 15 16 17 18 you know and those are the ones that are blasting little pump right now and um blasting like like 6 9 you know like that's who they know as like their hip hop like the people that they look up to when it comes to hip hop, which is kind of sad, actually. <laughs> Bro, I love that interview with Jake where he, Jake Cole basically interviews Lil Pump. Oh, yeah, that's great. But Lil Pump didn't exactly do a lot of interviewing. Um, I don't think that's where his future his future lies. But he, uh, <laughs> Jake Cole's talking about like, he gives this like impassioned story about like his beginnings in hip hop and like just you know, his relationship with his mother and like just all this like incredible and I'm not even the biggest J. Cole fan. I respect him though thoroughly and like just like all the stuff he draws from and how he got started and his process and his path. Right. And then like he asked Pump and Pump said something like, Yeah, like a year ago my friends and I were like <laughs> fucked up, like, <laughs> you know, like threw this song up on SoundCloud and like shit. Like it's it's sad. <laughs> It's hilarious. It's hilarious, but it's sad at the same time because it's um, Lil Yachty's the same exact way. He just was in his dorm room in college, and they were messing around with some beats, recorded it, threw it on SoundCloud. Like I remember that like first hit that he had, um, Yachty. I'm not sure if you like listen to his stuff. I doubt you do, but um, yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> but one of his first <laughs> songs, I remember hearing. I'm like, wow, this is really different. I would. I literally thought it was a parody. I thought it was like a joke. I really did. And eventually this kid blew up and he's on Sprite commercials. And it's how I don't even think it's got to be less on how easy you're able to be sold to the consumer, to the public and more. I don't even really understand because he doesn't even really have the look of a hip hop artist. But now then again, I don't really know today what a hip-hop artist is supposed to look like you know like back in the day you kind of knew if you look kind of soft you're not really gonna make it but i mean i feel like maybe drake broke that oh, shit. yeah he must he must have broke <laughs> that because he came in through singing you know like rappers weren't singing and rapping in the same track you know like so that maybe he broke through that but i don't know i don't really know if there's like a legitimate look but um I don't want to yeah. uh, digress too crazy, but I'm going to really qu quickly ask who inspired you? Like, what what song was it? Because we grew up in, I mean, this is Florida, Warwick, New York. Like, yeah. like hip hop wasn't, I mean, maybe back then when Eminem and um, 50 were really coming up and you were in high school, like it was hard to maybe not jump on that bad wagon. But who was it prior to that? that made you maybe separate yourself and be like, yo, hip hop is where it's at. And this is what I want to do. Well, I think I must've been in like fifth grade or so. And I, you know, I always had kind of like a love for like city culture. Like both my parents are from the Bronx, so like right. spent time down there. And like, I just love the feel. And, um, I don't remember where I was, but I heard, um, I heard killing me softly from the Fugees 
And I was like, yeah, oh my, yeah, the score was like perfect album. But like, I just remember like that bass line and like the drums. And that was like, yeah, obviously my dad's like, oh yeah, this is a Roberta Flack song. And then he like played me that. And I was like, that's cool, but that's not like what I just heard. And it was the the hip hop feel of it, the drums and the bass that like drew me to that album. And then I listened to that album. And it's funny, we were just talking about like singing and rapping because like really the the dopest person at both ever to me is Lauren Hill. Mm. You know, like to do both well. Like Lauren Hill could have been like a standalone singer or a standalone, but like, because that's the thing. Most of these people that do both like couldn't solely thrive off one. Like their talent is that they're dope at both. You know, whereas the Lauren Hill, like, yeah, she could have thrived as either. But I remember listening to that record and um, the Fuji's, the score. I even bought like the Translator Crew album before that, and I just love their like versatility and their energy and like. I didn't even understand like how politically charged a lot of that shit was. I didn't even necessarily know what I was listening to. I just loved the feel of it and how raw and emotive it was. And like, that was like, for me, like the seminal moment and record. And then I got into like Nas and even actually that, um, no way out, like, um, Mm -hmm. that family, no way out. Like that was a pristine record. Like even the pop stuff was like, you could that's what I loved about that era is like you could hear songs on No Way Out or on any of those biggie records at the time and like they could bump in the club, they could bump on the radio, but you right. could also sit there and listen and like take something from them. Oh man. You know? I wish oh I always say I wish I was in my teenage years during like the late nineties, just because the quality of music and actually what the messages were and like I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, these guys were killing each other, too. You know, like they had their their little things. But right. But at least it forced you to kind of pick a side. Like there's no side anymore. You know, like like you were with Biggie, you were with Pac, you were with like you were with the the light side or the dark side or you were listening to the music for this reason, for another. Like nowadays, it's just the music for the beat. And if the lyrics are talking about something, then maybe it influences people in that way. But I feel like music had a legitimate influence as far as even politically. And uh, when it like they're touching on current events more so often, of course, back then than, than especially now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, again, it's that double edged sword of right. like recognizing as far as today goes, like recognizing the beauty of like. You know, I could Google anything and get it at my fingertips. There's that instant gratification. Mm. And people with that shortened attention span, they kind of want the same from their music. And I think there's something to be said for like, I don't want to think I want to, you know, like music should be able to provide an escape. And I don't think every song has to be like crazy heavy, but it's nice if that's somewhere in the song and it's like a choose your own adventure. Like, oh, I want to listen and get deep with this. And there's something to actually take from it. Um, but if you just want to like vibe, you can do that too. Whereas with a lot of the stuff coming out now, it, you're not going to find anything deep. Like, um, so yeah, it's it's changed, it's evolved. I, the '90s will be like my '60s, you know, like the <laughs> '60s were for another generation. Right. Even the alternative rock music in the '90s was fire. Like Dookie from Green Day was like one of my first CDs. Um, you know, obviously anything Nirvana. Like I. I kind of came up on that alternative rock and um, absolutely. And you can hear the influence in some of your music for sure. Um, I was actually like, as my research, because obviously Rob would every single time you would send Rob something new, Rob would immediately like, 
text me or call me or we'd like drive in either one of our cars and listen to your music. And um, I th- uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Iliad, am I pronouncing that correct? Yeah, the Iliad. Is that your first project completely? So actually, this is like kind of the the order of things. I did um, a mixtape with um, with Deem, shout outs to Deem, when he, he went by uh, Janaza back in the day. We did mixtape together. Um, I did another mixtape called Quality Over Quantity, but it had 28 songs on it, which is like just me being, you know, the cocky little prick that I was at the time, even when I was, uh, though I wasn't that good. Um, and then those were like, that was all mixtape. I did the mixtape stuff with the Cypher Junkies. Um, shout out Cypher Junkies, out, by the way, because yeah, you guys put out some heat. <laughs> shout out the crew. And on that note, don't be surprised um, if in the future, the not so distant future, there's a little bit more on, you know, that front. Hmm. um that's the team always will be but like obviously we we did stuff but then my first like original project solo was um this project called system update um with mark beats um and then a few months after that the iliad came out and that was my first full-length album um yeah so you had the uh the marty mcfly song marty mcfly delorean i think yeah, Marty McFly's DeLorean with with Mac Lethal, who's kind of famous now. Um, yeah, I remember out. when you first had that feature, and like that was big because at the time of when like that was around like YouTube's infancy, and I remember uh, Mac Lethal uh, was he a battle rapper also? Yeah, Mac Lethal is like hella accomplished man. I mean, he won you know Scribble Jam, which was like the freestyle battle epicenter of the world like he yeah he won that um that was now battle culture is more like acapella you know who you're facing like you write your bars you mix the improvisation back then it was like tournament style like beats on like you know it was dope um still dope which is different um but yeah the mac feature was big and he's only i mean he's been on like ellen since then he's cracked like a million subscribers on youtube like he's Mm. yeah he's grown quite a bit hey man Um, I mean, you're not too far back. I don't want to sit here and um, give this dude any neck because I'm interviewing Bravado, not Mac Lethal. <laughs> gotcha. 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 Appreciate what, it. What, um, so the progression from the Iliad to um, like Water for Hangover. Um, am I, wait, did I say that right? Did I mix that up? Close, close. Like Water for Hangovers. Like Water for Hangovers. I'm sorry. That's it's all terrible good. on my end. Um, the progression from your, even your cadence from, from then to now um because the the freestyle that i put up of you on shape 45 um i think is honestly the best like straight flow and bars from you i've ever heard i mean i could be wrong and maybe i just haven't heard anything everything but um that honestly was like the the best as far as like your flow your timing um your cadence um did you think like did you obviously you're a student of the game? So what is it about uh, the the progression that you kind of are very proud of right now from the Iliad to right now? I mean, with the Iliad, I was intentionally called it that because it's it's like a journey, you know what I mean? And it's like an epic, and it's like finding finding my voice and my, and my style, you know. And I think, and that's why when you listen to that album, like 
so many songs are sonically and topically like so far apart from one another and it was necessary to that growth to kind of figure out my sound and then I continue with that theme with like the Darwin Files mixtape, you know, mm. again, like evolution. Um, I did some other stuff in between the Cypher Junkies album. Um, I did Dope Perspective with C Nature. Um, I did, I got to Hip Hop Asterix, which now I'm kind of finding my sound. And there I went and kind of showed everybody my influences. And that was a way of keeping it eclectic. Like this song's gonna, you know, almost have a horrorcore feel. This song's gonna be storytelling. Like that, you know, and circling back to the Fuji's, I actually had Pace One on Hip Hop Asterix. Pace One was on the score um, on a song called Cowboys. So, like, literally a dude that I heard on the first rap album I fell in love with was on the Hip Hop Asterix album. Wait, um, what happened? Which was. He ended up huh? not being on it or. No, he was on it. Yeah, he was on it. Um, Pace One, he's on that song, uh, Impersonal Shit, which has oh, a real 90s feel. Um, but, you know, I would say by the time, um, like, what are for, like what are for Hangovers, I'm about to mispronounce my own shit. Um, by the time that came out, I, with that, it was like a punch you in the mouth, like, boom bap album. Like, we were just going for that. Um, you know, shout out to Marksman um, for just killing the production and let me do what I do. And I guess what we wound up at is kind of this like traditionalist approach, but with some of that swag um, and stylistic, you know, variation of cadence that, you know, makes some of today's music work. Well, I kind of applied all that and it, and kind of married it into what my sounds become. I think, you know, I can, I can sit on a boom bat track and sound at home or I can like, you know, again, do use some of those like alternative rock tinged vocals to kind of like do something different um, and and become what I've become. Um, I think listening to a lot of the artists um, that inspired me over the years and then just practice, practice, practice have gotten to this point. I mean, yesterday and, and as dope as is, is like Water for Hangovers is, I, I feel like now the stuff is um obviously whatever i'm doing now is going to be my favorite but like i just feel so at home recording now and i think that's just the byproduct of you know what they say the ten thousand hours you know right. um i i just i don't know i feel like I think muscle memory. Kind of, it is it becomes muscle memory and you learn how to use your voice as an instrument nothing sounds forced like um even your material is less forced because you're really writing what's what's true to you more as you evolve, you know, as opposed to like, I got to come up with something witty. Like, I don't really have that approach anymore. I'm like, the wit will be there. Like, what do I want to say? Right. And how do I want to say, it? you know, and like, there's a fun fundamental difference between like, I want to say something witty versus I have faith that I will. How can we make this sound, you know, dope. And I think I'm, I'm more focused on serving the song. Now I used to be pretty focused on like, I want to prove to you that I could rap like now anyone who's been following me knows I could rap. So it's like, how can I make this song work? Mm. You know, and I, any artist coming up, like, you know, I give that advice, like, you know, have faith that your listener will be able to tell if you're good, you know, and like, just be true to like your own performance and making that song like pop. It's about the song more than it's about you. Right. You know, and, it took me a long time to realize that, but I have now. Um, and I mean, the shit we did yesterday, like, 
I did like three songs yesterday in a two-hour session. As far as just the recording, we didn't really mix. But like a lot of that stuff, like I didn't even dub on a lot of it yet. Like it just sounds so clean. I used to use like the ad-libs and the dubs to kind of mask like a take that i'd be like oh that was pretty good it's you know it works i wouldn't like how i said a certain phrase or something so i would dub it whereas now like i feel like i'm really landing on every phrase every word like um it's interesting you say that because i'm sorry to interrupt but um you are an english teacher and you are probably the most um as far as your vocabulary um at a completely different level than most of the artists that i've i've ever known and i know a lot of different artists in new york and naturally you already have that wit um so it's interesting that you had a point where you were kind of overthinking that because i feel like now where you're at i mean i honestly i couldn't tell i mean that's the point i couldn't tell that that's kind of what you were how you were thinking that's only something that would be in your head but um it's interesting that you feel good so yeah i I mean i bet bro like because i obviously i'm pretty sure 100% 100% of your list, your listeners would never know that either. But as an English teacher, like, how did that dichotomy, like, how did you find that that helped, helped you? Or did it help you? Or did you even think about it? Or was it something that was like, oh, yeah, this is going to definitely help me? It helps a lot because if you're, you know, immersed in, you know, having to read regularly and, and write regularly, and not only that, but like teaching you know, you have, you assign a paper, you know, you have a hundred papers to three, four pages at a time to read through and, and to edit, um, from a critical vantage point. So like, if you're constantly critiquing, you know, naturally it will, it will help your own work. Um, you know, cause you're always looking through that critical lens. And, and that is also kind of a gift and a curse because then you become hypercritical, like we were just talking about where maybe I'm overthinking what, doesn't you know it doesn't have to be that way you know like sometimes the beauties and the simplicity like a perfect example um my favorite album of the year you know i'll say i think mine's top five this year for like hip-hop albums but like um i think my favorite hip-hop album of the year album period is book of ryan um you know by royce and it's it's incredible because he was one of my first favorite rappers. Like my instant messenger screen name back in the day was like Royce the five nine for life. Like I was a Stan. So like, I loved his technicality and his everything about him. Like I always thought Eminem was dope, but I was like, man, you people got to pay more attention to Royce. Like Royce is fire. And like, they're both from Detroit too, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're both from Detroit. Um, and Royce, like, you know, kind of obviously had his issues with them and, you know, D12 and then everything kind of came around with Slaughterhouse and he puts out Book of Ryan and there's there's songs on there that are really simple. There's the song Cocaine where he's talking about addiction and how it affected his family and his father and like, but he's singing and like talking to you and the record is brilliant and powerful and it's nowhere near his most like technical or dense, you know, but like. That's not the point. Like we know Royce could rap somewhere on the same album as, as Caterpillar, you know? So like Where he spits on that too. Right. It's just like a boxer, like, you know, look at the the album as like a as a match, you know, and pick where you're gonna have your flurries, you know, pick where you're gonna style on them, pick where you're gonna fall back a little bit. Like mm. that's like, you know, the sweet science of it. You know, if you are a student of the game, like that's kind of where I'm going. Um and that's why I just think, like, that's what I'm saying. I still haven't made the album yet that, like, brings all of that into 
you know, makes that all come to fruition. So I'm really excited for people to hear what, um, what's happening right now. Like what you have coming next, right? Yeah, they're in for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I know everyone's looking forward to it. I know before you get into like what you have coming, I know just recently you got back from Warp Tour, which by the way, this was Warp Tour's final year. And Warp Tour is just a huge, I mean, people know what Warp Tour is. Uh, I shouldn't have to sit here and explain what Warp Tour is, but uh, to be included and to be invited into that was had to be just in a huge one of your top accomplishments. I mean, I'm not sure um, what you got out of it in hindsight now, but um, if you want to explain that, but how did that come come to be, and um, what was your reaction when you found out, and uh, how did it go? I mean, yeah, it it came to be um, this dude. Uh, Timmy Grins, who runs a company called Cool Suppliers. Um, we had crossed paths in the hip hop scene before, played at like the same venue one night, kind of kept in touch online. Um, and shout out Timmy. Timmy's a real, um, he's a hustler, but he's also like, he, he's passionate about hip hop. And, um, you know, Timmy started his own company and they do, you know, essentially these vegan ICs. It's like a fruit smoothie meets a push up pop kind of thing. And um, he started to, he went from being an artist that performed on Warp Tour to being one that got there as a vendor, you know, and was able to sell his his uh, his products there. And um, I guess this year he was able to partner up with, um, you know, some of the people behind um, this uh, stage called Transform, which was like a, you know, for it was independently driven. Um, shout out to Brando at Transform. You know, he was one of the, you know, people behind that, the main person behind that. Him and Timmy had a relationship um and basically he allowed or they came to the agreement that timmy could bring two artists that worked for him along for the entirety of the tour and timmy hit me up and um you know it was basically like you know i'm a fan of what you do musically uh you know that genuine article hip-hop and i think he knew about a lot of the philanthropic stuff i i I did with the schools and um kind of just respected what i was about and he said, you know, I'm going to give you a great opportunity. Like, you're going to have to work. You know, when I wasn't performing, I was working. You know, mm-hmm. I was working for both suppliers out in the heat. Um, and every person I interacted with, I would tell them what time I was on. I would give them a card. He had these business cards made up for us. I'd be like, I'm playing on Transform at this time. Here's my story. Check me out. Follow me, whatever. Um, and, you know, he basically was like, this is going to be tough, but it's going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he couldn't have been more right. I mean, it wasn't on some, like, I was on this, like, cush tour bus relaxing until my set, you know, s- sipping sparkling water. Like, I was I was out hustling up until 10, 15 minutes before I would play. I would go play, get back to work, you know, and wake up in a different city the next day. Um, so it was, it was wild, man. It was also, you know, there were days that were, um, were humbling because, you know, not everybody's there. Especially, you know, at Warp Tour, like, you know, predominantly pop punk, you mm-hmm. know, and then, uh, you know, there's some more hardcore stuff and heavier stuff. And I would say like 85, 90 percent of the people are there for one of those two things. There's hip hop heads everywhere, but like there wasn't, you know, the biggest hip hop act that was there was like Twisted, which is like kind of on like the juggalo side. And then um, we had Kosha Dills, who was on Shouts to Kosha. He's a really cool you know, a really cool guy, but he played on the same stage as me most days. Um, but it wasn't really a hip hop demographic and you had to learn how to like 
make that work for you. You had to learn how to like pull a crowd in hmm. and how to make your set interesting to a more casual ear. And some days were fire and it was a great crowd. Some days not so much, but it really like it really brought out the best of me in a performer as a performer and I just felt it like even in the studio the other day like playing just about all summer. My man McNasty, I had him come in for the last week with me. Shout outs oh. to him, but most of the summer it was just me um some days playing out of my phone and then i had um john gibby another shout out john gibby uh dj from cali he like hopped in and was was spinning my stuff but like it's, i didn't have hype you know pretty much 90 percent of the time so i'm having to power through this like 20 something minutes in the heat every day and it just made me such a better performer and i revised so much and like um and taking so much with me going forward that now like say december i'm opening up for for big daddy kane in which Baltimore. is crazy by the way i told my parents that my mom couldn't believe it i had to show her the picture she was <laughs> she was very ecstatic about that that's yo uh, yeah they would they would definitely appreciate that some of my uh you know like one of my dad's good friends is like i'm coming you know like <laughs> he's ready to buy tickets and shit but like that's yeah but like when, when i'm playing with a crowd like that like i'm gonna feel like so much more empowered you know having done something where i had to pull people like these people are already going to be there for that you know what i'm saying so like now all of those nuances and tricks and like going from playing by myself to now playing with the full band again like i'm just going to feel unstoppable you know um it was a beautiful experience for that and for a lot of other reasons i mean i'm i I got an rv with basically like seven strangers and consider you know all of them like family in some capacity now so um life-altering dude you know really yeah warp tour is beautiful i hope um you know that somehow it picks back up in the same capacity but either way i'm like hella grateful for experiencing it you know bro honestly when i first found out that you were uh, jesus gross when i first found out that you were doing warp um i was like yo rich made it like this is it Dude, he's really about to he's about to blow up. He's about to do that, do everything. And um, honestly, just the simple fact that your name was attached to that, I mean, it just adds more notoriety to you and more eyes to you. Um, I actually wasn't, I didn't know that it was the entire the entire demographic was strictly pop punk. Like I knew that's what it was, but I figured if they were inviting you, then that would mean there'd be other hip hop acts. But um, the fact that you had to do that, I mean, the perseverance alone. I mean, you said it yourself. When you actually go into a in front of a crowd that's there for that, you're gonna probably feel like, like there's, you're gonna feel like there's one person in the stage, and like you're gonna, you're, I mean, I'm um, in the crowd. Like you're gonna feel so comfortable. Like I can't even, I can't even imagine what that's gonna be. Is that your next show, the Big Daddy Kane um show? Yeah, there. As of right now, that's the next one on the books. I think I'm gonna come up and do one. Um, you know, either in Warwick or, or New York City before then. Um, yeah, we'll talk about I got, that. Yeah, yeah. I want to figure out the right look um, and do that kind of as a homecoming. And then there's some other opportunities popping up, um, but I'll probably stick to just making the Big Daddy Kane show crazy. Uh, Baltimore being my main market, like it's been a while since I've done, you know, something of that magnitude in, in Baltimore. Um, so I kind of just want to make that one like real crazy, you know, um, 
and and continue to go from there keep cooking every week in the studio and right. you know uh yeah and as far as warped like i would you know it, it was a level up it really was a level up you know um i feel like further along than before um and i think within as far as making it making it like i feel really confident saying that i think you know by two years from now that i'll really be where i want to be i think that i mean if you the as long as you have like a plan in, in place and it's not just like i know so many talented artists and i'm not gonna sit here and bash anyone but i know so many talented artists where they're they're almost coasting like to to kind of use the analogy of basketball like i always thought carmelo anthony was somebody that used his natural ability and just said this is where i'm at and i'm this great yeah i'll practice from every now and then but his game has really never really changed since the moment he's came to the league his athleticism has gone down but he's pretty much stayed the same and has not really made adjustments or done anything where it can say like where he can say that he's grown in some capacity and i mean i know so many hip-hop artists in that same way it's kind of just kind of stuck in the mud and just doing the same thing over and over and over again but to like make little adjustments here and there. And I'm like, and if you can see the results and see the, the growth in listeners, even by a few hundred or even a little less, like, I mean, that's important. I know it's gotta be important to you. No, it is, man. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with the mellow uh, thing. Um, I, I remember when he came out of Syracuse, like it, it was like, you know, him and LeBron were almost one A and one B, you right. know, like that's how good he was. Um, and we, we know, we know how that went. Exactly. Uh, not that he had a bad career, but like, you know, he's not um, LeBron. Right. LeBron's LeBron. Um, but, uh, no, that, that is a lot of artists. The problem is a lot of talented artists. Um, and even I'll be honest, like even not so talented artists, uh, just artists have a sense of entitlement Mm -hmm. that like, this is the greatest, like I worked hard on this. So everyone needs to like, the reality is like, you know, people, the most valuable resource we have is time. Hmm. So if people are going to spend their time on your art, you need to be humbled by that. or You should be humbled by that and thankful for that. And you can't twist their arm in doing it. You just need to make it so that it appeals to them. And I, I'm not saying like I don't force feed anything or I don't do anything with like, oh, I, I want – I'm doing this for this listener or this person. Like no, but like I try to think like – of how to make it most palatable and appealing, you know, universally and, you know, to hip hop heads and, and to make it feel good. And I think artists just want that red carpet rolled out specifically with the business end. Like the, you could put in the hours in the studio, but like you, you know, they'll want a manager when they have nothing to manage, hmm. you know, like they, they don't want to do that kind of work. Like I got tired of not getting press that I thought, I should get and I said well how could I best rectify this and I became a publicist and you just did everything on your own did it myself and I figured it out right. and like I, st- I didn't make excuses you know and like it's like anything else with that any coach or teacher that's going to push you is like yo ultimately this accountability is on you the other thing is they don't want to invest they want to look fly as fuck but they don't want to pay you know a publicist or they don't want to pay for any kind of marketing it's like all right well you're gonna look good playing for an empty arena mm. you know like great you know so it's 
it's all in your mindset and it's all in like being a student of the game and being willing to work for it and to make it work for you. Obviously as creators, like our favorite thing to do is create, but in reality as an independent artist, like I would say creating is about 10% of what I do, you know? So either you, you know, like get with it or, you know, or don't. And once I started getting with it and stopped trying to fight against the current, things started to turn around I got a long way to go for sure. But we're moving, you know. So. When did you um when did you find that encouragement? So, I know the the first time that you put out any type of music. I mean, it's not like it was today where you put it out and everyone hears it instantly because it's social media, but I mean, where did you find encouragement or haters or for whatever from your friends? So, your your friends, your peers is who you uh, present the, the music to f- initially correct that's what you did first right yeah i actually like i started it was like a drunken party trick like i'd get like fucked up and like freestyle and people loved it and then naturally that like evolved into like battles um and it turned into like older kids coming to parties that rapped and like i battle them and i'd win and then they'd want to fight me and <laughs> you know that whole thing i started going to um organize battles and and doing that and still being very successful and uh then people um you know started saying well why don't you try recording music and then we would record on first recordings i did i want to say we're on like marksman uh marksman's like eight track i eventually bought a 12 track and we're talking like live analog mixing um so the quality and plus we didn't know let's be honest like we didn't know what the fuck we were doing as far as engineering went so the stuff from being like neophytes with like from a a technique perspective whether we're talking about rapping or engineering like it was rough around the edges so like you immediately had the faction of of friends that were like you know a little deeper you know the deeper thinkers were like wow you know he has potential like this is cool like you should try to do this, like constructive feedback. And then you had the faction that was like, yeah, this is never going to happen for you. Hmm. Straight up, just straight up. So that's your face. Not so much, you know, not so much to your face more. You just, and you know how it is with people yeah. like I, you're a perceptive dude. You yeah. kind of just intuitively feel, um, you know, who's on that plane. Hmm. And that kind of continued as it progressed. And then there were, you know, I, I'll give you a fun, I mean, go you know fast forwarding that you know there was that like meme that was like something about like if you feel shitty about yourself like someone you went to high school with still trying to be a rapper or some shit like that yeah i've seen it so i saw that and then that's those same people like literally more than one of them when things started picking up in the last like you know nine months to year would be like commenting and liking and like this that and the third on my shit and i'm like I'm the only motherfucker you went to high school with that was serious about rapping. Right. <laughs> you know, like, don't think I don't see these right. things. I'm not going to address you, but like, um, it's just funny, man. Even some of the cats I went to college with, like, I think are salty that it went from like being a kind of an, Oh, he's still at that to like, Oh shit, he might actually do this. Man. You know? That must, that's gotta be a great fulfilling feeling. Like, like, when when did you start to use it as fuel like because initially like, i'm you're human i mean unless i mean 
I mean, there are a lot of people that immediately use it as fuel, but did at some point, did you doubt yourself because of that? And when did you use it? When did that flip, that switch flip? And did you have to, you start to use it as fuel to like, you know, I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to do this and I'm going to, I'm going to just prove every doubter wrong. Um, it's like, so it's twofold as an artist. I feel like you're always going to have doubt. You know, and you have to learn how to harness it. Mm. And like, so they, of course, probably subconsciously added to it a little bit, especially when you're like, these are people that should have my back, my best interest. Like if they were starting a business, I would support them. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, Me too. But then you start to realize like where it's coming from. And if it's coming from a place, in some cases, the, you know, a beta male type that's trying to disguise himself as an alpha with this like false sense of, you know, masculinity that he's thrown out there like you got to take the source at face value and be like he you know he's hating to get to get a laugh or a chuckle or like whatever because he's insecure about himself and then beyond that like you have is their taste in music even you know worthy of of someone to take seriously and most of the time the answer is no right to that um you know and you start adding up these things in your head and then you almost start looking at it from like a funny like this is funny more than anything else like let me poke them now with and and listen i i am a i think i'm a good dude at the end of the day i'm passionate about a lot of things and passionate about helping people but i am by no means beyond you know frederick weising these people and and put my nuts on their face when i when i fucking dunk on them at this point that's where this is going so fuck i mean if you you know and if you're one of them you know you know, your support means nothing to me. If you're, if <laughs> you know, if anyone's you listening. Yeah. If you, if you're listening, which you might be now, you can take it back to where you were. Um, but yeah, that, that's where I'm at, man. I mean, you use it to consider the source, you know, don't let that slow you. Um, and, and that's how I see it. You know, I see Did a you have of- a, I'm sorry. Did you have a point where you were, uh, you were kind of mad that you weren't getting the support that you wanted? Cause I know sometimes I feel like that, like, um, and it's two different, it's a different level. I know, I know that, but just like you kind of expected some support just based off of past friendships or whatever, or past relationships in general. Um, was it, were you kind of like, dang, like I really thought I was going to get so-and-so to do this, but it didn't happen. So like, like, how did you feel about that? It was like, whatever, I'm going to do this despite all that. No, it that you know it'll if it's coming from like a good friend source, especially like that'll definitely sting a, lo- a little bit. If you're like you know you'd like them to go to a given show or like right. whatever else, um, it, and it it's hard. But you also then start to visit like the idea that doing what we do, it, the best outcome. Your friends are always going to see you, no matter how successful you become. Right, they still see you through a friend's lens. You know. Like people who don't know you will take your art at at its face value and what it means to them, and they will see you as a a fan, and they'll really be the ones that that support and drive you most. And it's really about getting those people. Um, so like, yeah, it stings, and you want the support from the people that matter to you. But like, even doing what you do, don't like, don't let that deter you, because like, ultimately, you know. You, you you're well researched you're a good dude you present it all well like it it'll work out for you you know i and i promise you that and don't count on like don't let them be the reason you do or don't or they're you know you know what i'm saying like I that do. does 
that's not going to define you with all this. It definitely stings. You just get used to it. Right. And it becomes less, you know, uh, prominent in how you're seeing everything. Hmm. Amen. And I appreciate those words. Um, I mean, I've taken a lot of the things that you're saying, um, just as just critiques and, and advice and, um, using you as inspiration and like your come up as inspiration for myself. Um, even when I first started this, I was telling Rob that I was using you as an example. So, so, um, it just, it's cool to hear that and to know that you also had similar thought processes, but to quickly segue, I mean, being persistent through hardships, I mean, we, the two of us can be on a show and not talk about both the Bulls and the Knicks. We just can't do it. It's not, it's not possible. I wouldn't have wanted this show to end and not talk about that rivalry. So being a Bulls fan in the, for the past, I don't know, what was it, five years since they've been like at that level where you thought that they could get past Miami. Like, I mean, for myself, it's been my entire life, literally. Besides, yeah. besides 2012 when they, uh, they made it to the second round and like, we won we were second in the east like that's all that's my only claim to fame like it's the only thing i can say but um i mean where do you think your bulls are gonna are gonna do this year and going forward because i like your team I, I like i love your team this year actually i really do i i i really like them too i my concern is beyond like wendell carter jr and chris dunn i don't know who's gonna play defense you know um because, I mean, Jabari Parker literally came out and said that the NBA doesn't pay people to defend. That was nuts. I couldn't believe he said little, that. It's, it's a little concerning. Um, I like Jabari. Like, he seems like a hell of a dude. And, like, he, you know, I like what he said about Derrick Rose and what he means to Chicago. And, you know, awesome. I like the story is that the potential for the story, you know, second overall pick, like injury issues coming home and finding his groove. Like, I'm rooting for him. Um I think he's the X factor. You know, I think um, if the Bulls were smart, I love Robin Lopez. I love what he does. But, like, if you watched Summer League, like, like Wendell Carter's ready now. Yeah, he's the, he's the number one. He's got to be the starting center of that team. He could win. He's good enough. And I'm not saying it's going to happen, but he's good enough to win Rookie of the Year. Like, mm-hmm. he's really – he's a two-way stud. Like, he should be starting. You don't so, like uh, Bobby Portis anymore? Love Bobby Portis, love him, but I think Bobby Portis is best suited as um our microwave big like right. off the bench like coming in you know coming out swinging like I, I I think we need to retain Bobby and keep him. But again, if you're bringing Wendell in with Bobby, like Bobby's not going to defer, you know Bobby's going to get his shots up. Bobby's in a contract year, um, all good things for like a sixth seventh guy. Like I think Wendell's got the potential to really be special. So I think the Bulls need to foster that and trade Robin to like a contender, you know, for Robin and for us. Um, I've done is, you know, he's got the keys one more year. Um, Starting point guard, you think? Yeah. Yeah. He's got the keys one more year. Um, Levine's a Levine and Jabari are both X factors. Uh, He's by the way, Levine is my pick for a most improved player. I hope you're right. Uh, I mean, he's a beast. I've been just watching him in the summer. I mean, these guys make themselves out to look like look amazing. But I remember uh, last year, and real quick, shout out Anthony Bailey because he's the one last year that that picked Victor Oladipo to win Most Improved Player strictly based off of his summer Instagram tapes, you know. And I mean, if I'm going to try to make that bold prediction myself, Zach Levine looks crazy. I think his upside is out of this world. The dude can average over 20 a game. Um, I mean, a lot of times when these guys come off ACL injuries, that second year, like if they come in 
halfway through the year. That second year is when they dominate. I mean, unless they get hurt again. But um, I think Zach's going to be crazy. I hope you're right. Yeah, the potential is there. Like, I love the backcourt. My concern is, like, the usage. Like, Dunn did better with higher usage. And then, like, because he's not really an off-ball type at all. Like, you know, um, and Levine needs the ball. Like, Jabari needs the ball. And then we can't forget about Laurie Markkinen, who was one of the best rookies. I forget about him for some reason. You know, I mean, he's a stud, you know. Um, You know what? I'm a Laurie hater. And, like, this is where – the, the niceness in the conversation goes away because I'm a Laurie hater. I think he is a poor man's KP. And the fact Ooh. that Rob is – that me and Rob have had this argument so many times. Laurie had a couple nice plays against KP, and every Bulls fan in the world immediately dubbed him better than KP, which is absolutely absurd. Honestly, KP is Dirk Nowinski 2.0, and the comparisons to me – like, all right, for, for one, Markinen is, what, 6'11", and KP is 6'3". Lori doesn't have n- how how tall is he? That's well, no. Uh, KP, you said he, we know you meant seven three for KP. Oh, I think KP is more of a center, a traditional center than not a traditional center, but I think he's more of a center than Laurie. I think Laurie's creativity with the ball and and his quick release, he's more of a natural shooter and gunner. Like I, I, KP to me is more athletic and more you know can protect the rim better and i think they're different to be honest i don't i don't see that many parallels between them i agree Um, i don't think they're the same player at all at all i mean if kp kp doesn't so l'oreal give he has better ball handling than um than kp kp looks wild when he drives to the basket still even though he's in his third year in the league i hope he fixes that but um i don't think kp is somebody that can take take over that role as like a blake griffin type four where you're going to give him the ball top of the key and expect him to be a playmaker. Like, he needs playmakers around him. Meanwhile, Laurie, I think, has the ability, and he's young enough to be able to have add that aspect to his game. So that's where I'll give it to Laurie in that aspect. But um, He's a gunner, too, man. Shooting, period. Like, he's just – he's a fucking – he broke a record last year. For, yeah, he did. He broke KP's record. <laughs> oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah, and I was pissed about that. But, I mean, KP still has dope records. But, I mean, as a Nick fan – I mean, I'm just desperate for a star to be drafted for the for this team, and I can admit that when KP was drafted, I had no idea who he was. Um, I didn't, I wasn't happy with it, but I mean, he turned out to be gold. And I mean, I and if the rumors are correct, and I've been posting it all over, if Kyrie and Jimmy Butler come to the Knicks next year, then um, man, I'm gonna be the happiest kid. I'm gonna be the happiest person you ever met. <laughs> well. Here's my here's my thing. Circling back to Lori real quick, one thing to look at, he bulked up a lot too over the summer. He so did. that's that's something to keep an eye on. But um what was I gonna say? As far as the Knicks go, I think that's a mistake that they make. Like, I don't again, Buckets and Kyrie are both guys that need the ball a lot, and I think you're better off nurturing the homegrown right now because you know Knox looks like he has and again summer league I try not to overreact but his his tools are undeniable you know like Greek freak-esque not Mm -hmm. all the way that but like the long strides like he's to the basket before you know it like he's showing you things he couldn't show you at Kentucky like I love the Knox pick and I love the um the Mitchell Robinson pick too so 
Well, yeah. there is people that were saying that he's a, a better prospect than DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley, who, by the way, I think Marvin Bagley is going to be J- uh, Jaleel Okafor. I mean, I know Kyle's going to listen to this as a Duke fan. Uh, Marvin Bagley, I mean, he he's all right, but um, I mean, I don't see it. I really don't. I don't know if he'll be that because he's too modern of a big. He's he's springy and like you know he he does more thing. He's capable of doing more for you without the ball as opposed to like Okafor is like a traditional post up kind of big. But like I think Bagley, if he I don't think I don't know if he's going to be a star, but I think he'll carve out a niche as a decent starter like somewhere. Um, that's what I see for him. I don't know. I, he could be anywhere from decent starter to great. I, I think. mean, would you start him over Scowl and Willie Cauley Stein? Because those two, not, no, not exactly. right now. Exactly. So he'd no. have to start immediately. Aiton's going to start right away. Like I don't think Bagley needs. I don't think Bagley needs to start right away. Um, I, I'm saying like projecting his mm-hmm. his um, Potential. you know, output in the league. You know, I think he could be anywhere from like a decent starter to a great. I'm not going to rule out great for him. I just think he has to put it together. Um. Aiton, Aiton looks pretty scary. I don't yeah, know if I would say, yeah, I don't know if I would say Mitchell's a better prospect than him, but you, we don't know, man. It's all we're all projecting, you know. Right. I, I don't like when people talk about the speak with the draft with all this certainty, like they really know because you don't. That's true. It's true because these guys. That's why my dad. I can't have conversations with my dad about Kevin Knox. As excited I am about him and uh, the player that he's probably going to turn out to be my dad sees nothing until that first game of the opening season not even preseason he doesn't care about preseason it's just the regular season and the and how much you can produce right right from then because he's like these college kids they can come in and end up like for instance i wanted justice winslow to be drafted the year the knicks drafted kp so bad i wanted justice winslow i wanted malik monk both of those guys didn't have the uh malik monk last year both of those guys didn't have um the best rookie seasons. I mean, Justice Winslow, he's probably going to be the same player versus career, just like a D guy that's going to give you um, like a few steals, a couple steals a game. Like he's not going to put up 20 points a game. I mean, at least I don't think so. And at that one point, I wanted him on the Knicks and like, I'm happy we didn't draft him. So what you show in college isn't necessarily mean that that's what you're going to put out in the league, you know? No, you're you're right. I was big on Winslow too. I was also big on Monk. I wanted Monk over Markinen. So again, it's good that I'm not in the driver's seat. Right, but, exactly. Um I thought yeah, I thought Monk was gonna be kinda can't miss. I mean, it's still early uh for him. But yeah, it's it's tough to project and plus I mean your pops, like he's been a Knicks fan for how long? So he yeah, he doesn't want Yeah, he doesn't want to hear it. Yeah, um, he's already over it. And so and well then, you know, and he saw those teams that were like dangerously good in the 90s and really close um if not for that one guy whatever that one guy (laughs) yeah uh the goat the goat by the way i'm still on the the wave that uh that lebron uh isn't a better so a better basketball player like the what the the sport is to be a team player and to make everyone around you better and yeah, I think LeBron is a better basketball player, but the greatest of all time, um, putting together the eye test, um, production, the wins, championships, six and all in the finals. I mean, never going to a game seven in the finals, um, never getting swept in the fi- uh, in the finals. I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't know. You got to give it to LeBron, and I mean to Michael Jordan, and LeBron. I mean, three and what 
six in the finals? I mean, that's that's not. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. LeBron is. To, I I will always say LeBron is the best of this generation, even better than Kobe, and that's hard for me to say because Kobe's my Michael Jordan. And right. So LeBron, I got to put, but their games are so different. Like, and that's what a lot of people don't factor in. Like, I think Kareem just said the other day or recently, or was it Kareem? It might've been him. And he was saying, I mean, there's got to be more than one great, greatest of all time. You got to do it at this point because LeBron is clearly one of the greatest of all time. And Michael's clearly one of the greatest of all time. But he, if you, I think if you put him one-on-one and play one-on-one, who do you think wins? In their in their primes, in their, in their oh man, it's so fucking, that's so close. I you're gonna say Michael because that's I'm, who. You, I'm always gonna edge Jordan just yeah. for competitive, and plus he was way stronger than he gets credit for. Right. Um, like if you look at him, like really that first either of those three peat runs, he was so physically strong. Like he wasn't as big as a LeBron, but it's still his ability to absorb contact and just how ferocious he was as a competitor. And one big difference between them is LeBron was only really a great defender consistently for a couple years. Right. Like he had his, like the block against golden state. That's iconic. But like he didn't have that many, like first team, all defense in the conversation for defensive player of the year type years. Whereas Jordan, like that was pretty much the entirety of his career. All right. He was always guarding the best player on the court. And that's the same for, goes for Kobe too, you know, and shutting these guys down at, at certain points. I was actually just watching this highlight of, um, I think it was Grant Hill's second year in the league and mm-hmm. uh, he was on Detroit and I mean, he was a dominant player and, uh, and they were uh, it was in the playoffs. I think it was in the playoffs. Either way, it was the final seconds of the game, game tied. And for the whole game, Grant Hill was torching him. And Jordan just completely shut him down, court and one end of the court to the other. And, I mean, so many times he's done that and Kobe's done that. I mean, this year specifically, the past couple of years, I mean, I've never seen LeBron give up on defense so many times ever in my in my life watching him. He gave up on D so many times against Boston. It was crazy. Like the fact that that Boston team that's perfectly coached, by the way, Brad Stevens is one of the best coaches, if not the best in the league. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Yeah, that team shouldn't have got to Game Seven with a team against the team with LeBron James on it because I don't think it would have happened with Michael Jordan. I really don't. And that to me is another major thing. And I don't know. LeBron's it's a lot of it's going to his head now. If you follow him on Instagram, dude's the cockiest dude ever now. He he's so cocky, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I and that, you know, I would probably be too. I mean, I'm cocky right now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, no, I feel you, man. I, I think um, you know, it, it comes down to intensity and, and competitive advantage. And the uh, yeah, and the eye test is part of it. Um you know, the, the scoring titles, the brutal efficiency, like, he he gets the edge for me, but I also can feel with what a Kareem is saying because it's almost like becomes a how – it matters your criteria. Like, it turns into, like, 1A, 1B. You know, like, LeBron's list of accolades and longevity is, like, is wild, whereas Jordan, like, had a better peak for longer, you and know. And again, if he didn't sit out or – get forced out however you want to think of it or say it uh if he played straight through dude could have won nine straight titles he could have ran the 90s completely yeah. 
you know, and they would have, they would have, the, the Knicks wouldn't have beat them in 94, that wouldn't have happened, or 95, that, um, Orlando wouldn't have beat them, well, Jordan came back, but they wouldn't have, if he was, if he stayed consistently on the Bulls the entire time, I mean, this can, would have been a no-brainer, like, no one would, would ever be comparing Michael Jordan to LeBron James. No, you're right, and it is that is the un that is the unfortunate part. And of course, like the little brown purists are like, well, he took that time. It's not like he was just golfing during that time off. Right. He was trying to be a professional baseball player. Like, there's plenty of mileage and work that went in um, over that time period, and that's actually something they attribute to him being so strong when he came back. Um, and that being kind of an advantage for how he evolved. But we haven't seen LeBron's last act yet, you know. Right. So, um. One wild thought that crept into my head, and I know it'll never happen, but just as a pure basketball fan, I'm I'm praying it happens. I want the Lakers to make moves at the deadline, consolidate the young talent, give LeBron, you know, whoever he can get. And then what I really want to happen is for them to look like they're a player away and for Kobe to just get this hit. <laughs> yeah, my dad's the exact same thing. He's Bro. really thinking that Kobe's going to come out of retirement. I would fucking spaz. I would lose my mind. I really would. So he can get six? Imagine. <laughs> yeah. Bro, I mean, what better, like, oh, we're one player away. Like, I mean, that that is a beautiful. You know what, though? I just, I don't think Kobe would do it. I Me think neither. he's too content. Yeah. He's the most, like, cerebral, arguably, like, the smartest player, like, ever. Yeah. And he just doesn't. I don't think he cares. I think he's very content with what he did. And right. like 20 years, take, man, 20 years in the league, one team. Yeah. It's, it's, he had a fucking phenomenal career. I, I don't see it happening, but we can, we can dream. We can all dream. We can. Um, damn, I forgot what I was about to say. Uh, I mean, we're, we're creeping up to the, to the end of this, but, um, I mean, cool. we can, we can keep talking basketball forever, but, um, before we get to the very end, just uh, remind everybody about your next shows, your current project that you have, and on iTunes, Spotify, where they can find it, and um, you know, just get, uh, just give me all that. Sure. Um, next show is December sixth. Um, opening for the legendary Big Daddy Kane um, at Baltimore Soundstage. You know, we're talking about literally one of the five to 10 most influential hip hop artists, you know, ever. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's major. Um, really looking forward to that. If you're in the Baltimore area, even if you're not, it's a good time to come down, uh, get some tickets for a discounted price and, you know, see me on uh, a really big stage and sold out, you know, soundstage when I moved down here was like the place I was like, I'm going to play there, you know, at some point. And now here we are, you know, main support for somebody like him. Um, yeah, it's fun, man. I'll pl be playing with the full live band and my DJ and the whole nine. Um, and then I'm going to try to set up a homecoming show before then, uh, probably in Warwick. Um, so I'll keep everybody updated about that. Um, as far as where to find me, um, there's mcbravado.com. Um, there is at mcbravado on Twitter and Instagram facebook.com slash mc bravado um you know the likes comments follows most importantly shares are always appreciated um that's the big thing if you have a friend that's an independent artist don't keep them a secret if you enjoy their stuff share it like you share the artists that you really love because mm -hmm. 
your friend needs that more um right now the artist that's already on doesn't really need your retweet you know to be honest um so you know take that and 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 help them help your friend if you believe in them you know don't do the fake love shit but if you're a fan do that um let's see as far as upcoming projects um working on a couple things right now um shout out lineup room um it's the best studio in baltimore i'm i'm there you know um grinding away i've got a project i'm doing that you know still unnamed um but i would say we got 10 or 12 in the can for that um probably going to keep recording for a while pick the best of the bunch um i've also got a project called minestrone that i'm putting out you know named directly after the soup because (laughs) because in italian culture the the kitchen scraps you know you put them in a pot you know otherwise what am i going to do with this leftover x y or z you put them in a pot you make it taste good that's minestrone leftover tracks that didn't make other projects that are still dope that's fire you know um Cyber Junkies material will be happening. Groups within the groups. I'm working on a project with SC Static that I got some stuff down for. Shout outs to him. Uh, I'm going to do a project with my band. Um, both like one, like a live EP where we're just recreating all of the live versions of the songs we already have, um, my songs. But then we're also going to do a ground up EP as a band, all live instrumentation. Um, that'll be special uh yeah just lots and lots and lots uh on the way so utmost gratitude to everybody um you know good bad or indifferent uh, especially good and thank you for for having me and i'm glad um and humbled that i have inspired you in any capacity you know i'm here you know how to find me um so yeah bro appreciate you hey bro uh i can't uh, i can't thank you enough for even joining me on this and uh just clean your schedule enough uh, just to spend an hour with me. So, bro, it's awesome. It's going to be one of my best episodes for sure. Um, real quick, uh, you can find Bravado's most recent project, like Water for Hangovers, on iTunes and Spotify. And um, just type in MC Bravado. Um, you guys know where to find me at hashtag underscore Marcus underscore on Twitter. Um, that's at TFOTM on Instagram. Um, again, I'm Marcus Frencher. And until next time, guys, it's the fact of the matter.